Scottish Mortgage Podcast Invest in Progress is back. Join the managers and their guests as they go behind the scenes of some of the most innovative companies of our time. Companies like Climeworks, who are pioneering technology to remove carbon dioxide from the air. Or Zobi, who are at the forefront of a new era of aviation developing electric air taxis. Or Aurora, who are building software so that trucks can drive themselves. Hear from the leaders of these exceptional businesses on their vision and what the world could look like if they succeed. Available now on all major platforms. Your capital is at risk. Hello, I'm very pleased to be joined in the studio today by Anthony Kingsley, Managing Partner and Chief Investment Officer of Findlay Park. Findlay Park's more than $10 billion American fund remains the biggest active strategy in Europe, which is focused on the US market. After years of strong performance, like basically everyone else, it has struggled to keep up with a tech-driven S&P 500 lately. That ushers in a moment of potential evolution for the fund, as the managers look for new ideas, while there have also been some recent moves to broaden the investor base. Anthony, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Let's start with the Magnificent Seven. Uh, I think you've had lots of clients ask you when their stock market dominance is going to end. I mean, what, what, what do you say? Yes, so... It's an interesting question. Over the last decade, uh, obviously, you've seen tremendous compounding Mm. in many of these companies, revenue growth of 20, 25% and uh, commensurate growth in earnings and free cash flow and growing returns. And these are wonderful businesses that have amazing network effects, uh, whether it's Facebook, Meta, uh, Google, Apple, Microsoft and so on. Mm. I think what's interesting is when you look at those companies today, they have more overlap in terms of competition than perhaps they did over the last decade. Competition with each other? Competition with each other, but in addition, competition with with other companies. So take social media, for example. Uh, Meta had a dominant platform, but today there are other competing forms of social media. If you take Amazon in in retailing, Hmm. um, there are many, many online competitors in in retail. Um, And, you know, some new Chinese companies that are rather large. You've got, even got TikTok, which, Mm -hmm. you know, has got a, you know, a a big and fast growing commerce platform. Yeah. Then you look at cloud, Uh, you know, Amazon clearly with AWS had a strong first mover advantage. Uh, but that gap, I think, is being closed to some extent by Microsoft, uh, Azure, uh, and Google. Mm. Uh, and so wherever you look, uh, it does seem that the, there's more competition um, and there's, there's greater competitive intensity. From a regulatory standpoint, these companies are very large. Right. Um, so they won't be able to acquire in quite the way, the way they have done before. I don't think you know, there was an opportunity for these companies whether it was Meta to acquire WhatsApp or Instagram, I think it's going to be more difficult going forward for, for acquisitions. And I think America has a history uh, of breaking up large companies when they get too dominant. Mm. And, uh, you know, you just have to look at look at the past. So, you know, you've got a very active FTC, you know, Lena Khan uh, has uh, made a beeline for some of these companies. We're going to see more noise there in the coming, in the coming months and years. Yeah. So, um, and, and of course, um, Jeremy, just the law of large numbers. I mean, you know, when you get to a $500 billion revenue base, it's just tougher to grow mm. um, uh, and, and so on. So I think um, for, for many reasons, uh, look, these are companies that are still a fabulous business models. Many of them continue to grow fast. From a Finley Park perspective, yeah. our approach is a selective one. So we are an all cap fund investing across the market cap spectrum. And there are a number of mega cap 
magnificent companies that we do have in the portfolio, but yeah. we are underexposed relative to the market. So we have about a 10% exposure overall, uh, whereas the, the index, the S&P 500 is say 25 to 30 yeah. in these companies. Okay. And so, you know, if, if you're predicting they'll face stiffer competition, I mean, so is that where you've been looking more at some of the kind of the, their, their, their competitors then, or is that the wrong conclusion to draw? So um, where, where we have uh, evolved the fund, or mm. where the fund has evolved, but driven by where we've been finding the best opportunities, mm. is a little bit lower down the market cap spectrum. I mentioned that we are you know, an all-cap fund. Yeah. And in fact, we started out life, uh, as, as uh, you may know, as a small-cap fund, mm -hmm. evolving to an all-cap fund, uh, where we found better opportunities. And I think we're now sort of saying, you know, Finley Park 3.0, um, is going a little bit kind of back to the future, mm. uh, somewhat, uh, not back to the to, to the those early days of you know investing in one billion dollar market cap small cap companies. But right. today, about forty five percent of the fund or so is in sub fifty billion dollar market cap companies, and I'd say three quarters of the ideas that have come into the fund over the last two years have been uh, in that sort of market cap range, and, yeah. and there's a number of reasons for that. But but principally, it's where we've been finding better risk reward. Okay. opportunity. Great. Well, that gives us lots of stuff to um, come on to, Anthony. Um, I suppose, yeah, you, you mentioned the origins of Finley Park. Can you just take us back in time a bit? You joined in 2002, I believe. What was it like at the time? Well, it was a lot of fun because um, small cap, um, there were a lot of opportunities. Mm. And, um, you know, when Finley Park was launched in 1998, um, you know, we had the same investment philosophy that we do today. Mm. But one of the slides was, um, you, you know, small cap is the engine of growth in America. And you can buy these companies at a discount to, you know, the large cap companies. So it you sounds get, like today. Yeah. So you get faster growth, lower valuations. And, you know, there were inefficiencies in the market. So it was a lot of fun hunting around for these smaller companies. Mm. And, um, yeah, it was um, it was a slightly different world. <laughs> okay. And then maybe, well, let's skip forward in time. So, you know, you, 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 were, you were the kind of, you know, uh, you, you founded the partnership, which runs Feedly Park, right? E even if, if you didn't found the original business. Um, you know, what's it been like since 2016 when, when you know, Charlie and then James kind of started to step back a bit? Yes. So um, I had worked with James Finley as a graduate trainee at at FNC, mm. um, and fortunately, um, after a few rotations, I was put on the American desk and working for my boss Andrew Barker. But there was this young uh, chap in his early thirties, James Finley, who mm. was making his name in U.S. smaller companies. And James and I, we just really hit it off, you know. Mm. And um, we worked, you know, quite closely together. And um, and so in 1998, when James started uh, Finley Park. Um, I went off and did something else, worked for a, a big buy-side American firm. But mm. he, he kept sort of, uh, you know, pestering me, shall we say. <laughs> you, know, you, should, you should come and join. So I did join in 2002. Mm -hmm. And at the time, it was a company. And then we turned the business into a partnership. And mm. I was a, one of the three founding partners of Finley Park. Uh, and then to get to your question, so, you know, cycle on to 2016, I, I simply say... Uh, the kid grew up. Mm -hmm. That's how James put it. And I was an analyst, a portfolio manager. And I think James felt, you know, I was ready. It, yeah. was, it was sort of my time. So he, we were, we were co-CIO for a while. And mm -hmm. then in 2017, he stepped back from the day-to-day -day, um, and, and said, Anthony, I think, I think you can do it better than me. And, and so I've been the CIO since 2017. Yeah. 
And, you know, J- James was a renowned fund manager, right? What, what do you think the sort of biggest lesson from him was? Or is there something you can distill? Yeah, by far the biggest lesson uh, was understanding the power of compounding. Mm. And, uh, you know, I know you've heard it before, the eighth wonder of the world. But understanding that, that the key to building a good compounding track record is not to lose too much money in a down market. And so when you look at the Findlay Park track record of 12% compound for 26 years, um, actually, what we've done is we've, we've managed to keep up in good markets. So when the, when the, when the, in any one quarter when the market's gone up, we've, we've just about kept pace. Yeah. But in down markets, we've outperformed in 30 of 32 down quarters and actually quite meaningfully. And it's amazing if you do that consistently over time you can produce a very good compound rate of return. And so just the power of compounding, understanding that downside. And so although we do try and buy great companies and great quality businesses, we're very, very mindful. The first thing that we do uh, is ask ourselves, how much can we lose if we're wrong? Yeah. Rather than how much can we make if we're right? That's interesting because one of the things I wanted to ask you is whether you, you think active fundamentals more about kind of picking the winners or avoiding the losers. Because one thing that strikes me, it seems, with how dominant Magnificent Seven has been is that if you haven't held those winners, it's just been so painful in a way. It's an interesting question because for us, it's not about what we don't own. It's mm. about we, what we do own. Okay. And um, we have just about managed to keep up uh, with the ind- indexes over the last 10 years. So mm. the compounding return is not, not that dissimilar. Um, and yet we haven't owned Apple. We haven't owned... Um, a number of those big magnificent seven companies, Tesla and so on. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, the good news is we've owned a lot of other great companies that have compounded at very attractive returns. Yeah. And so we're, we're far more interested in putting together a portfolio, uh, a core portfolio invested in America of companies that can produce great compound returns. But if we're wrong, hopefully we won't too, lose too much money. Okay. And that's driven by our investment philosophy, and, yeah. uh, which, which, which has been a constant throughout those last 20 okay. years. Well, well, maybe that maybe we can kind of tease that out a bit because I think, you know, maybe people just sort of scanning the biggest holdings in your fund would think, oh, these guys are kind of quality investors. You know, they just look for these eternal kind of compounding businesses. But we, we were talking beforehand that, you know, that, that's not quite how you see it, right? Well, that, that's not all you do. That's right. So the foundation is the investment philosophy. Mm. And if you look at the 29 questions that we have on that philosophy. 29? 29, 29. Wow. Which we ask ourselves on every company uh, before we consider putting it in the portfolio. Um, more than half the questions are about business quality, business competitive advantage. Mm. Um, and so it's not really about growth or value. It's really about the quality of the business. But in addition, we are willing to buy companies that have maybe lower returns today where we see the opportunity for those returns to improve over time so yes in the portfolio we've got the high quality businesses the mastercards the s p globals that maybe you'll see across other other types of portfolios you know fantastic businesses today Mm. Um, but you know we've owned railroads those have been businesses that previously had cost of capital type returns, but we felt with pricing power in time could become better businesses. Waste connections, which, Mm. you know, when we first bought it, um, the returns on capital weren't great, but we felt that it was a business that had great pricing power. Martin Marietta, Airbnb. These are are examples of companies that um, we see offer the opportunity for improving returns and therefore compounding 
Yeah. Um, yet they're still they're still fantastic businesses. Okay. Um, Great, thank you. Let, let, let's talk about this move kind of down the market cap scale a bit. There's this problem, you know, we might use the word mid-cap almost, but a mid-cap in the US is, is very different to what we're talking about in the UK, right? You know, the, these maybe are much bigger than uh, FTSE 250 companies. You used this phrase before, the, the forgotten $50 billion companies. Can you just talk about that a bit more? You know, what, what do you mean by that? Yes, so when we started out in 1998, mm. small cap, mid-cap were trading at a, at a big discount to the large cap companies. But over a period of 10 to 12 years, that discount narrowed and those mm. companies got quite expensive. A lot of money went into the small and mid cap area and a lot of those stocks were picked over heavily. And that's why we started to evolve to more of an all cap fund. But if you cycle on you know, to 2023, 2024. It's gone back the other it's way. It's gone back the other way, mm. exactly, Jeremy. And the conversation today is, oh, the S&P 500 is such a difficult <laughs> index to beat. You know, no one beats the S&P. When we changed our benchmark, you know, more than a decade ago to, to include the S&P 500, interestingly, a lot of people said, why are you doing that? It's a, such an easy index to beat. And it's the small cap index that's hard to beat. So, well, actually, we think that going forward, that's going to be harder. Uh, and so we're actually going to make life harder for ourselves by changing the index to the S&P. So today, mm. when you look at small and mid cap valuation, sub 50 billion, they're now trading uh, at, at a discount again to large cap. So they look, we have a chart in our pack that, that where they are trading on a relative basis close to where they were in some 1998, 1999. And right. so again, coming back to the opportunity set, uh, the, the risk reward, we're just finding more opportunities. They've been, I wouldn't say ignored, mm. but it's not where the action's been. And so um, we tend to go perhaps sort of slightly where, you know, whether other, whether others are not looking. Okay. And so, so you said that that's up to about, you know, those sub $50 billion companies up to about 45% of the fund now. Um, you know, I think I was reading in one of your reports at the end of 2022, that was something like 30% that figure. I mean, you know, how, how high could that go? You know, how much of a sort of evolution of the fund could we see? It could go higher. Um, mm -hmm. It will depend on, you know, where we find the opportunities. I say it's not uh, Anthony Kingsley CIO mandating um, you know, I would like a certain percentage of the fund to be in a certain market cap. It's really mm. driven by, you know, uh, we have a 12-person investment team. Of, we're all analysts. We're all looking for scouring for the America for ideas. Yeah. And where do we find the best risk reward? So it could certainly go higher. I think one thing that's really interesting is America has had a number of enduring advantages, but perhaps um, a new uh, one is is reshoring. Uh, and deglobalization, and so as a result of that, we're finding some great companies, but that have more of a domestic bias. So companies like Martin Marietta, mm. Ferguson, um, just top build, more domestically oriented companies mm. that have. So we, if you look at our portfolio, uh, we have a higher percentage of revenues that come from America. Um, company like Acom, Engineering and Design Services. So we've we've shifted the portfolio. Um, because of those ideas to a more domestic bias. I think some of those companies are going to benefit from these reshoring tailwinds for yeah. the next five to 10 years. Interesting. And, you know, um, there will be people who think, oh, a $10 billion, a $10 billion fund, mid caps, you know, this sounds a bit, uh, a bit curious. Now, you know, as you said, ma many of these are still very big companies, right? So maybe it's not that there's a liquidity surge concern so much but i suppose how would you argue to investors that a big fund like yours is kind of best place to take advantage uh, of that opportunity going down the market cap scale 
Yes, so um, as I said, we're not we're not um, in the sort of one. You're not looking dollar. for minnows. No, exactly. So we have a, a, a fund that, that trades daily. It's very very liquid, mm. uh, and uh, frankly, we have a diversified portfolio of about sixty stocks, fifty five to sixty stocks, and so we don't find the liquidity uh, a constraint. As I say, these are these are world class businesses. Some of them are global. Some of them are a bit more domestic. Yeah, um, we think there's ample opportunity to. To, for the fund to grow without any liquidity constraints. Okay. Net assets in the fund are down by a, a nearly a third from a peak of around £12 billion in 2020. What's behind that? Yes, so I think, you know, the fund has been going for 26 years. Mm. And um, my understanding is, you know, the longer the fund is going, um, over time, you do get, you know, generational changes and, and uh, uh, you know, clients will want to... Uh, sell for, for, for a number of reasons. Um, we have clearly had a move mm. from active to passive, and we can see why. You know, the S&P 500 has been a great index, uh, double-digit compound growth over the last decade yeah. plus, and it's been difficult to beat. It's been difficult for active managers to beat, so the flow to passive has been a factor. Uh, but nevertheless, I think what we're really pleased about is that we have a fantastic client base, a, a clients who we partnered with for more than 25 years, many of whom have been with us right from the start. Yeah. Um, some of them may have reallocated a little bit, mm -hmm. uh, you know, towards passive or away from America. But nevertheless, you know, we, we feel you know very good about the client relationships and, and the business that we've got. Yeah. OK, thanks. Well, you know, one thing that has changed is I think, you know, this is a fund that was sort of closed to new investors or, or kind of semi-closed to new investors for, for a long time. Um, but, you know, that that's changed in the last year and a half. You know, you, you said you're kind of trying to broaden the investor base a bit. You know, you're now on Hargreaves Lansdowne, for example, and some some of those other uh, direct-to-consumer platforms. Can you can you talk about that a bit and, and you know, why you want to do that? Yeah, so I don't want to talk about any particular client. But sure. um, one thing that we've obviously noticed um, is that, uh, the way clients buy funds has evolved mm. and we want to make sure that we evolve with that. And so, you know, being on the right platforms, just making sure that we are available on the platforms has been part of the strategy. Sure. We, um, as I say, for, the, for some of the reasons that are mentioned in your, in your previous question, um, we have wanted to broaden out the client base uh, a little bit. Uh, we've taken a really selective approach to, to that growth. Um, we want to try and find clients, rather like our existing clients, that we can partner with for a long period of time mm -hmm. who like what we do uh, and um, like, like the idea of you know, a long-term relationship and, and the possibility of long-term compounding. So Switzerland, for example, is a market that we found particularly attractive. We've always had a strong client base in Switzerland, but we're spending a little bit more time uh, trying to grow that business and, and build relationships. But as I say, on a very selective selective basis yeah okay thanks uh, and you know something else a little unusual is that you really do just run this one strategy and you know you, you you've got no segregated mandates for example is that because you know do, do you think it's a mistake when um, people create those separate accounts for all sorts of different clients it kind of divides their focus a bit look i think the great thing about this business is there's so many different ways of doing it mm. and um it's not to say that ours is the right strategy and someone else has got the wrong strategy but we are not an a, a, an asset gathering business mm. uh, like most fund management companies are. We we started out in 1998 to try and produce a really strong compound rate of return yeah. uh, for a long period of time. And, you know, you asked me earlier, what, what did I learn from James Finley? Um, and I mentioned the compounding. But, uh, but another thing, um, a second thing I learned is 
the power of simplicity and focus, just mm. trying to do a few things very well. Mm. We have uh, one office uh, in London, um, a very focused business. And I mm. think sometimes just the power of keeping it simple can be underestimated. You kind of touched on this a bit earlier, but we're in one of those periodic moments where people start to argue that, you know, index funds are distorting the market a bit, kind of, you know, inflows beget strong performance for big stocks in the in, in the index, which begets flows, et cetera, et cetera. Do, do you have a view on that? Not a particularly insightful one. Okay. <laughs> um, look, I think it's, you know, it, it, it makes sense that at some point, um, you know, this thing becomes extreme. I don't know whether we're there now. Mm -hmm. Certainly you see the impact. Um, yeah. You know, uh, but, but, but ultimately, we believe that although the stock market is a voting machine in the, in the short term, in the long term, it's a weighing machine. And so if you find the right companies and you get the, the revenue growth and you get the earnings growth and you get the free cash flow growth and that compounds, it will be reflected in the share price. So we try not to worry too much about you know, indexes and index weightings. And we, we don't think about, you know, overweights and underweights. We, we just say, is this a business that pro can produce really attractive compounding over time? Yeah. That is how we build the portfolio. Okay. And, you know, last couple of questions, Anthony. You know, I know you don't love talking about US politics, but it is an election year. You know, d does politics matter to Findlay Park Americans' performance? We don't think so. Hmm. Um, one of the great things about America is the, is the checks and balances. Mm -hmm. um, that you have in the constitutional system. Right. Uh, Ironically, kind of gridlock in Congress is often seen as good for markets, right? Gridlock, you know, lots of well-intentioned, you know, presidents come in and they mm. have a, an agenda in the first 60 or 90 days and they realize that it's it's quite difficult and challenging sometimes to implement those, uh, those agendas. But I think here, currently, it looks like, you know, it's gonna be Biden or Trump. Um, well, we know what we get with Biden. Uh, and, and Trump, you know, we, we've had a, um, you know, we've had a term. So again, I think we can have some idea of what that might look like too. Okay. And, uh, we, we try not to have companies that, you know, have a binary outcome in terms of politics. Mm. Um, and that's, you know, the, the philosophy guides us in that direction. Okay. Well, thanks, Anthony. Um, you know, that's everything I want to ask about investing. I guess maybe final thing is, you know, what else do you like to do outside fund management? Well, I like to keep fit. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, I've always loved tennis. I play a lot of tennis. I watch a lot of tennis. Um, I recently got... Um, have you ever been to the US Open? Or I have. Yeah, oh, I've great. Been to the US Open. Um, and uh, I, don't know if you, I don't know if you know paddle tennis. It's a, it's I, a I, I haven't tried it yet, but I'd love to. It's a sort of fast-growing sport. I don't know. I've heard a few times it's one of the fastest-growing sports uh, in the world. And um, I can see why, because in some ways it's a little bit more forgiving than tennis. Mm. And you can just have a lot of fun really quite quickly. Um, I wouldn't say I'm very good at it, but I enjoy it. And um, I'm playing a bit more. And yeah, it's a lot of fun. But so, yeah, generally just keeping fit um, is, is something I like to do. Fantastic. All right. Well, I think that's all we've got time for today. So yeah, thank, thanks so much for coming into the studio. And uh, yeah, great to hear more about Findlay Park. Thanks so much for having me. The Scottish Mortgage Podcast Invest in Progress is back. Join the managers and their guests as they go behind the scenes of some of the most innovative companies of our time. Companies like Climeworks, who are pioneering technology to remove carbon dioxide from the air. Or Zobi, who are at the forefront of a new era of aviation developing electric air taxis. Or Aurora, who are building software so that trucks can drive themselves. 
Hear from the leaders of these exceptional businesses on their vision and what the world could look like if they succeed. Available now on all major platforms. Your capital is at risk.